Your favorite things feel made for you. Your education should too. University of Maryland Global Campus, formerly University of Maryland University College, was made to serve the military and working adults like you. Today, we continue that tradition by offering frequent start dates so you can get started with convenient online learning that fits your schedule, by recognizing your accomplishments with credits you can earn for what you know, by providing no-cost online resources replacing most textbooks because a college education can fit your budget too, and with no FAT or GRE required for most programs. University of Maryland Global Campus, made for you. Last year, we awarded more than $15 million in scholarships to qualified students, including community college students, service members, veterans, and working adults just like you. Discover how we can make your education and your goals for the future a reality. Visit us at umgc.edu. That's umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV. At Office Depot Office Max, we're here to help you work from home, an office, or even a coffee shop. Shop laptops, notebooks, ergonomic chairs, desks, and more. Although your local store at Spectrum at Reston Town Center has closed, you can shop at our store at Benedict Drive and Bartholomew Fair Drive. Or shop 24-7 at officedepot.com, and we'll have your order ready in-store or curbside in just 20 minutes. Find everything you need to end the year strong at Office Depot Office Max. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Chauncey Show, where we're always right and never left. I'm your host, Chauncey Brown. We put God first and politics second. I hope everyone had a, a wonderful, safe, and blessed Memorial Day weekend. I want to echo my thanks for the service to all those who have served, uh, including my dad, who was a Navy veteran. I want to thank you all for your service. And for those who are no longer here, I want to thank their family members for their service to our country. We're very, very thankful. We have our freedoms today as a result of veterans putting their life on the line every day. And that leads into my guest. Uh, My guest is a veteran. Aaron Marie is an Army combat vet and a registered nurse. And she was the individual that unfortunately saw and discovered that the media and the government was lying to all of us. And that hundreds, maybe thousands of people were dying because of it. Army combat vet Aaron Marie, excuse me, you know, has strong values. And they were put to the test when she arrived as she traveled uh, to Elmhurst Hospital, the epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak. After serving in Iraq, she was uh, back on the front lines, and this time she found the situation was even worse. Rooms were filthy. Nurses were lax with sanitation measures. Hospital-acquired cases of COVID-19 were spreading like wildfire. And worse, people who had tested negative multiple times for COVID-19 were being labeled as COVID-confirmed and put on the COVID-only floor, put on ventilators, and drugged up with sedatives 
these patients quickly deteriorated, even though they did not have coronavirus when they checked in. Doctors in training were refusing to perform CPR and banning nurses from doing so also on dying patients whose families had not consented to do not resuscitate orders. Erin wasn't about to stand by and let her patients keep dying on her watch, but she knew that if she told the truth, people wouldn't believe her. It was just too shocking. Willing to go to battle for her patients, Erin made the decision to go deep undercover, recording conversations with other nurses, taking videos of malpractice, and more. I want to take a moment to thank Erin for her courage and for her service to our country. Let me welcome to the show Erin Marie. I'm trying again. I'm, I'm trying. Are we having technical difficulty? I can hear you. Um, Aaron, are you calling me directly from a landline or from your phone directly? Yeah, um, I'm trying my best. Can you hear me right now? I can hear you well. Okay, good. Okay. Good. I'm here. I was just, I was hoping that I wasn't disconnected from you, but thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you, Aaron. And words cannot describe my thankfulness and your service not only to our country, but coming back home to America again. You are the epitome of what service is about, helping all people, especially in time of need. I have some idea about that. Uh, I'm a 9-11 survivor, fire captain, retired. Um, so I understand some of the challenges that you've met. Talk a little bit about your early beginnings of who you are, how you were raised, and how you ended up in the military before you came home. Um, yeah, no, I I thank you for your service first um, as well. 9-11 um, kind of brought us together in a unique way. Um, I graduated uh, high school actually back in 2001, and after I graduated, that's when I entered basic training. I, I was born, I was raised in Wisconsin, so that's where I'm originally from. I now reside in, in Florida, but um, September 11th actually happened when I was in basic training, so I, that was a very unique experience. I know everybody usually you know, you can pinpoint exactly what you were doing on that day. And um, that's where I was. I was on the the gun range uh, learning how to use the M my M16, actually. And, um, I, you know, we knew at that point that we were going to be deployed. Um, and so uh, not long after, you know, basic training and my in my um, advanced individual training at Fort Bragg, John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center. Um, I, you know, headed over to Iraq. So I was there from um, early 2003 until mid 2004. And um, so I, I saw war and combat at a very young age, which ultimately kind of, you know, set me up to. I guess kind of be the the strong <laughs> uh, woman that I am today, thankfully. Um, after I, I got out of the military, I went through nursing school 
and I got my bachelor's degree in science um, in nursing. So I started doing that and fast forward to, you know, last year, 2020, um, I went from, you know, working in emergency room to, you know, flying over to New York to help with the, the pandemic, I guess you could say. Um, and that's when I just saw some really bad things happening, which ultimately kind of led me to where we are today. Okay. So, so basically you were working, um, in Florida, uh, in the emergency room as an emergency room nurse? Yeah, actually, when the the pandemic first started, you know, we were watching New York, and you know, this was March, um, and, you know, they were getting hit really hard, so we were, I was actually out in a, a tent outside of our emergency room. Do you remember all the tents all around the United States? And we had... Mm-hmm we didn't have an influx of patients at all. Actually, they were furloughing nurses. So we were, you know, essentially kind of preparing for that wave. And they kept, you know, moving the goalposts back over and over. So originally it was two weeks, then it was, oh, maybe it's three, maybe it's four. And at that point, I was offered, you know, a chance to travel to New York and, you know, they're calling it the front lines and it's the, you know, it's a war zone. And so I'm like, well, I've been, I've been to war already. Um, I'm not afraid, you know, and mm-hmm. this is what I signed up to do. So I, I asked my supervisors if that would be okay. They all thought I was absolutely crazy. And um, they're like, yeah, of course, you know. And so I was on a plane in, in two days. Um, the, the agency said, you know, they needed nurses so bad that you needed to pack your bags, be on a plane in two days, and be there and ready to work. And so that's what I did. So, yeah, yeah I so shared, long story short, yeah. I'm yeah, I, I, yeah I, I shared uh, in the beginning of the podcast a little bit about what you experienced. Um, very, very shocking. Um, I'd like you to explain in your own words, uh, because I know it's probably very passionate and dear to you, um, how did you feel uh, when you first showed up to Elmhurst? And, and talk about that experience and and describe how things evolved for us. Yeah, so I guess, you know, the dire need for me to be there in two days was very confusing because, you know, having actually been to war, um, I kind of understood how it worked. You you get over, you know, into your in your combat zone, and you get to work. So when I got off the plane um, in New York, I, I didn't do anything. I actually, I was sitting around for three days with nothing to do. Um, and there's nurses there that were, you know, there for weeks before me, um, 21 days, three weeks, four weeks, um, with nothing to do as well. And I'm not talking like a few, I'm talking hundreds of nurses. And we're all being put up in four-star hotel in Times Square. Me, personally, I was at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square. And so that was kind of a red flag for me. Um, I wanted to know, you know, if they needed nurses so so bad, why is everybody sitting around? And so eventually I did get assigned. It was just via a lottery. I think they just picked names out of a hat. It didn't matter your experience, nothing. I mean, they were just putting nurses wherever. 
Um, I got assigned to Elmhurst Hospital, which ultimately, you know, was the epicenter of the epicenter. So we saw the, you know, when President Trump was sending all the ventilators and there's the freezer truck, like that was the main hospital that was seeing the majority of the deaths there. So I was, you know, taken back. I didn't know what to expect. I, I had no idea what was going on, just like anybody else, you know, around the country, kind of wondering what is really happening in New York. So it was new. Um, this was in April, early April. So it was pretty, you know, it was fairly chaotic. Um, and then I, I got in on my first day and I was astounded because it wasn't overwhelmed. There was more than enough nurses. Um, the problem was is they did they honestly didn't really care anymore. They just assumed anybody that walked through that door was probably COVID and was going to die anyway. So the overall treatment um, ultimately was the problem and, and not so much, you know, COVID um, or lack of COVID for that matter um, as far as what was really happening. Um, I, I call it the perfect storm because what happened is <clears> – <throat> One, they kicked out all the family members, so there was no advocates for these patients. They removed all liability from the hospital and any of the staff, so nothing really good comes from a liability-free entity, especially when you kick out family members. Three, um, they put a price tag on admission of COVID patients so or non-COVID. So all COVID patients that maybe have maybe had confirmed COVID through the PCR test, which we know now we're running at a, um, a really high cycle threshold, which created false positives. Um, that happened quite a bit. So if those people tested positive, it's $13,000. Now, if somebody came in with a cough, sniffle, et cetera, they would admit them as a COVID rule-out, give them a test, it would be a five- to ten-day turnaround. And in the meantime, that patient would likely go to a COVID floor or even be in the same room with a COVID-positive patient, and they would end up either getting it, you know, testing positive for it, or they'd be already put on a ventilator, which was like their treatment of choice, which is also an additional $39,000 for the hospital. So you have $13,000 to admit. You have $39,000 to put them on a ventilator. By the time I got there, 100% um, of the patients that were put on a ventilator had died. So they knew that the ventilator was the wrong treatment. This is number four. They banned all alternative treatments. So at my hospital in Florida, we treated our patients out of the ER early with the hydroxychloroquine and zinc protocol, and 100% of our patients survived. So when I got to New York, I learned that that wasn't the case. Um, that was banned. We couldn't use any other protocol. The only type of liability that existed in the hospital was if a doctor prescribed the hydroxychloroquine off-label, then he would be liable and likely lose his license, and he would definitely have been fired. Um, you know, the, the government got in between the doctor-patient relationship and removed any of these doctors' rights to be able to treat their patients as they wanted to. So um, these people that were on ventilators, I, I, was, I worked in the ICU when I was there, so I wasn't in the emergency room I wanted to be, 
but they utilized me in the emergency room because I did have prior ICU experience. And, um, you know, all we were doing or able to do for these patients was pretty much give them paralytics and sedatives. So we paralyzed them and put them to sleep on a ventilator. And eventually those people just, you know, they would go into multi-system organ failure because their bodies couldn't keep it up anymore. Sure, and, sure. you know, then they would be ended up, they would end up in the freezer trucks outside and, you know, it would be two seconds later than another person would be in their bed, you know, that, on that a ventilator. Is, yeah. You know, Aaron, that, that is so sad. I just want to footnote a couple of things, uh, um, which is very, very sad. You know, as you talked about, it, uh, you know, we use this, I guess, in the military or paramilitary term. And I was the commander of EMS for quite some time in the third largest city. So I understand mm-hmm. uh, the dynamics. <clears throat> when you got to the operation was ineffective. Uh, th- there was no point people and there were not a, a good operation, a good setup, a good flow of these transitions. Also, I noticed you mentioned the amount of money these hospitals were receiving for mm-hmm. from the federal government identifying mm-hmm. that if they had COVID patients. So a lot of hospitals across the country made a lot of money. Yeah. And, 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 and there's also a concern that some people may have not died from COVID but was listed as COVID so they would get federal money. Of course. Yeah, I mean, so I think... That's- yeah, that happened a lot. Okay, right. And that's what I wanted to, you know, make sure that I, that my yeah. audience understood those aspects because that skews the numbers as well mm-hmm. um, when, when, when you do this. Um, I, I'm just taken back uh, by listening to your experience and testimony um, on what happened, um, allowing these people to die, um, it's just unconscionable uh, uh, to me. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just still, I still just can't, I can't fathom uh, it on what transpired and listening to you share it. Uh, yeah. This is very emotional. Go ahead, Erin, please. Yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> the comfort ship was there. Uh, President Trump sent the comfort ship. It sat there. Um, it, there was a Javits Center. There was a Good Samaritan first. Um, they spent millions of dollars on this stuff, trillions. I would, I would, I would bet if you know, down the road it's going to be, it would probably be trillions. And mm-hmm. um, here's the crazy part is, you know, these they were ordered to stand down and admit everybody. So the hospitals didn't make money if they sent these patients that didn't need to be treated. They were clearly not COVID. You know, they could come in with a stomach ache. Those are the type of people that should have been sent to the, the comfort ship and the drive-it center and the Good Samaritan's Purse, all these field hospitals, and they weren't. They stuffed them into the hospital like sardines purposely because of the cash, you know, the incentive. And here's another aspect of why things were so bad is because re- the student residents were running the show. And a lot of these guys had just gotten out of, you know, the book portion of their medical school and had never once been at the bedside of a patient, ever. And so they were using this as kind of a free-for-all. They were experimenting on patients. They were putting in invasive lines. Mm -hmm. They were, can you hear me okay? 
Yes, I, I apologize. I made a comment. Uh, it's okay. There's a delay oh, yeah. sometimes, but it's okay. Go ahead. But they were putting in, you know, inv- they were doing invasive things to these patients, like putting in unnecessary pick lines for practice to get hours, um, central lines. They were putting in, you know, anything. They were using these patients on ventilators with no family at the bedside and under no liability to just kind of do whatever they wanted. Um, practice, we're practicing basically. on people to put put in, you know, to intubate them. You know, like there were so many times that I tried to advocate for my patients and they wouldn't listen. And I did this for at least a week. I mean, we were working 12-hour shifts. So, <clears throat> I mean, I tried advocating. I tried going up the chain of command. And my every single time it was a response, you know, don't ruffle the feathers, be quiet, or you're going to get sent home, you're going to get fired. <clears throat> they don't want nurses speaking out. And we were all on gag orders. <clears throat> so I contacted an attorney because at this point it was, it was gross neg- negligence, medical malpractice, mismanagement. I mean, any everything that we've ever been taught in school, the do no harm, you know, the Nightingale Pledge, all of it is out the window, and it it, it was uh, a death chamber, essentially. And so I contacted New York attorneys. I let them know what was going on, I rec- you know, and I ended up um, getting a pair of spy glasses and some audio recordings, and I started videoing everything because, I knew that no one would believe me. And, you know, even with the video now that I have, um, people still don't want to believe it because it's just so inhumane. And nobody would ever think that this would happen in America, but it did. And, it's and you know, Elmhurst Hospital, is, is it was awful what they did there, but they also did it all over. You know, this was going on in Texas, in California, in Michigan, in Massachusetts. But even some hospitals here in Florida, they were doing similar things like that. So, you know, this is kind of where we stop history from repeating itself and calling out the people that did really bad things and committed, you know, crimes against humanity. And so I just felt that it's, you know, it might as well be me. <laughs> you know, if it's going to be any sure. kind of do this because nobody else was saying anything. The nurses were getting paid $10,000 a week. Um, some of the doctors were getting paid fifty dollars to $60,000 a week. You know, in my mind, um, that was hush money, you know, to be put on a gag order and be paid that amount of money and have it ripped from you if you said anything, which ultimately I did get fired. Not not because they knew I was recording undercover, but because I was just asking too many questions and trying to advocate for my patients, and I became a problem nurse for them. Um, so yeah, it was it's very bad. Um, it's it's something I never thought I would ever witness in my entire life, let alone in the medical industry. Wow, uh, that is extremely troubling. Uh, as a result of this experience. Um, are you aware, um, has the federal government or has the legislature, the House or Senate, put any laws in place uh, to, in, to probably put in place better protocols or an action plan? Um, what corrective action measures have been taken that you might be aware um, of or have there been? Yeah. That's funny you say that because 
there was no, um, it was about, I would say approximately, so I got fired from Elmhurst at the end of May. Right how long were you working? I was there for about you? five years. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, all together, so five, five or six weeks. So, but they, I did get fired, they, um, and, and, you know, they sent me home immediately, um, you know, not knowing that I had been recording the entire time. But when my expose came out is um, I put an expose together with a guy that, you know, it was filmed literally on a iPhone, <laughs> you know, very, mm-hmm. it was done very quickly because we needed to get this out to the public, but I did put it out. It came out in, I think, April, right around now. Wow. This is coming up on a year that it's almost been released. And not seven days after that was released, um, Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, came out and offered all nurses whistleblower protection that wanted to come forward. And all they had to do was just give all their information to the government. And so they didn't, they were worried, you know, and my problem with that is it's the government that created this. So for him to ask all the nurses to hand over any evidence that they may have to them um, is just admission of guilt. They knew what was going on the entire time. And to this day, to this point, um, I know that it's being investigated but I, but you know, we both know Cuomo still sitting on his throne with an Emmy and a book that he received four million dollars to write. Sad. So we're up against a very big um, evil. Um, I don't know, higher power, I guess. If you know, with a lot of money, um, but. We have a lot of truth on our side and a lot of proof on our side. So, you know, there's only so far they can run with with this, you know, deception before it catches up with them. So I, I am not stopping and I, I do, you know, I will pursue as much as I can until this is, you know, justice is served for my patients that were essentially murdered. And the majority of these patients did not even come into the hospital with COVID. They were just treated as, you know, third-class disposable human beings for the, you know, greed, money, power, greed. I'm so sorry to hear. I mean, this is very troubling for the families of of their lost ones. Um, This is unconscionable. I mean, you don't expect this to happen in America. You've traveled no. around the world. That, you know, this yeah. doesn't even happen on the battlefield. You know, no, actually. I, I mean, doesn't. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, me being, you know, uh, you know, in the emergency medical services field, in, in the fire department, uh, you know, we understand uh, the critical time element of taking care of people is just unconscionable to me that these people are healthcare providers that are extremely insensitive and I'm being polite to human beings in life. I mean, these people, I have to pray for them and God have mercy on their souls, uh, practicing on patients throwing the family members out where they cannot fight for their family members. 
uh, I, I mean, it sounds like it's a totalitarian Marxist communist government. And to add that, we have an ongoing investigation. I worked in government. I know what that means. It's on the shelf. We're not doing nothing. Yeah, I know. And that's sad because these families have no recourse to what's happened to their family members. There's no corrective action plan. No one gets sued. These people made a lot of money, and it goes on as business as usual. Mm-hmm. I mean, your courage. Yeah, I mean, I Go think, ahead, you know, yeah. I, I, I honestly do think that there will be justice served. I think there's, there's enough of people now. Um, I think there's enough people now standing up to this. Um, my last social media page isn't my Instagram page. Um, it's Aaron underscore BSN. And I, I'm getting testimonies after more testimonies, after more from nurses and doctors and pharmacists and physical therapists and respiratory therapists. And they're all coming out and they're ready, you know, like they're, they've seen it and they're done with it. They're done. And, you know, eventually there there's going to be too many of them that they're not even going to be able to run the healthcare system anymore. Nurses are walking out. Doctors are walking out. Like they see the corruption and like they're washing their hands of it, you know, and this is kind of a pivotal moment in our history that, you know, we're going, we, we can go in the right direction, the wrong direction based on how many people are willing to stand up, you know? And I know for myself, um, you know, they fired me in New York. They also fired me in Florida after a while because they don't want anybody in their hospital system doing, you know, doing the right thing. It's crazy. <laughs> they don't want whistleblowers. They don't want anybody that might expose them for wrongdoings. And we know that uh, hospitals and clinics all around the country, all around the world are businesses. You know, they they rely on people being sick to continue their cash flow. They don't make money off of healthy people. And they especially don't make the extra incentive bonuses during, you know, under this emergency order that we're under, right, um, from the federal government, specifically FEMA, funding them even more money. So it's lucrative and it makes sense for them to keep the pandemic going, which is why we're still here, <laughs> you know. We're still here over a year later. You know, Aaron, like yourself, I took an oath of office, whether it be elected or sworn as a firefighter. And I've acquired various licenses, as you have. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have demonstrated not only the courage, but the way an individual is supposed to operate under conditions not only of stress, but the principles and values and integrity and morality that you have when you signed up for this task. And I want to definitely put you know that because people put their hand on the Bible, they'll swear to the Constitution, but they will forget that they did it by their actions of corruption, greed. And that is the saddest part in this story and other areas that I've witnessed it as well. Mm -hmm. And it is sad, you know, that you're not going to jeopardize your license. You're not going to jeopardize your integrity. 
for money, for theft, for deception, and I'm glad and I'm happy that many of first responders, nurses, doctors are standing up and pushing back and fighting back because if we continue to allow it to happen, you know, it was Tom and Betty's son or mother. It could be ours tomorrow. Uh-huh. And I really hope that the federal government wraps their hand around this and puts pressure on hospitals across the country, not only for um, whistleblowers' protection, but also yeah. to ensure this type of corruption within our medical system will not continue. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I just think that the government knows. <laughs> They're kind of part of it. You know, like these, like the CDC, the, the NIH, the, the World Health Organization, the FDA, um, they've all led us astray. Like, they've all fudged the numbers. They won't look at the real data. They say anybody that's, you know, speaking out against the narrative, despite the fact that they have, you know, peer-reviewed, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies that prove them wrong, they, they, they won't hear it. They're canceling people. They're discrediting them. They're gaslighting people. Like, this is the type, this is the spiritual warfare that we're in. You know, Amen. this, is, this Amen. is good for people. And we are here, you know, and the time is now to, there's nobody that's going to come save us, but us. And at the end of the day, we, at the end of the day, we are it. And we are our children's saviors. You know, like we have to be able to protect our future generation. And the only way to do that is to come together from all different walks of life. You know, they're, they're trying to divide and conquer, you know, they're throwing the race. There's, Oh, they're throwing, you know, the discrimination out. They're throwing all these things out to confuse us because the, the, the most dangerous thing right now that we can do as, as a country, as a globe is unite with each other, despite differences, color, race, anything, you know, that, that is the, the dangerous, um, you know, the good that will defeat the evil, but it's very, very difficult right now because just to comb through, you know, the, the media and these fact checkers and, and, you know, everybody just trying to like throw out different information to confuse the general public is, is making it a very hard time to be able to navigate, you know, where to go. So, you know, um, just, here we are. <laughs> yeah. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm a God-fearing person as well. Before you were able to come on the show, I have a uh-huh. motto. We put God first and politics second. You remind Amen. me of a Bible verse, Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Yes, we are battling a spiritual warfare right now. And I'm so thankful and blessed that you brought that up because, you know, we, God is bringing all of his people together for his purpose. It's Mm -hmm. not an accident that you're on my show. We're all coming together to fight the devil. When you have an alleged virus 
with a survival rate, if you contract it, of less than 1%, and you uh-huh. have to propagandize 24 hours, seven days a week, of a false narrative of a pandemic that even by the WHO standards, a pandemic is 7%. People, you are being programmed. Wake up. Please. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the first red flag is if they really honestly, truly cared about people, they would have never banned any, any medication at all. Because in our patient's bill of rights, we have a right to try. Every single human being has a right to try. And what people forget is that the doctors, the hospitals, they work for you. You pay them a lot of money. Like, they work for you. It's not the other way around. And if you don't want to do something, then you tell them no. (laughs) You know? And I think that people become very intimidated it's not even, I think, like it's been studied, that people are intimidated by the white coat or the scrubs, you know, in that type of authority, you know, because you're walking in there, you don't know medical, you know, you don't know, so you feel a bit intimidated, which is why I always say, especially if you're going to go into a hospital or anywhere, you always have an advocate that can advocate for you. So find somebody, a friend, a family member, anybody that, you know, is somewhat versed in, you know, the medical industry to help you because everybody needs one right now. And and that is one way that you can kind of start taking control, uh, you know, back and, and not give it to them especially, you know, with this, I don't even have to call it a vaccine, but, um, you know, the, the shot that they have for a virus with a 99.98% survival rate for the majority of people, um, that is actually tending to start causing more harm um, now than the actual, you know, COVID virus. Um you got to be able to advocate for yourself and do your own research, you know, independent research, because if, if you don't, you know, it's, you, you, we don't know what's going to happen in the future with it. And, you know, the ironic part is I push the, the information out there. Some people receive it and some people uh, debunk it. And I've challenged yeah. my audience. I've challenged people on social media with my post. Why? Mm-hmm. You don't even know what you're putting in your body, number one. Now, you know, fast, let's look back for a second. You know, before Donald Trump got elected, Fauci is making a speech that said that during the Trump administration, a pandemic was going to occur. Also, Donald mm-hmm. Trump said that he was going to go after big pharma, which is ironic because, you know, with him cutting regulations and then putting other regulations in place, trying to lower uh, drug prices, uh, they were losing money. And now with this false pandemic, big pharma around the world is king again. And it's sad. You know, I put my faith in God and not man. And I challenge people, if you have faith in God, then why take the shot? My father made my immune system perfect. I don't even take the flu shot. Well, I'm an anti-vaxxer anyway, you know, but I mean, there are. But yeah, I'm sorry that you're. 
I think that you're more pro-informed. I, I think that the anti that they place on people is a scathing term meant to discredit their, their ability to think. Amen. And I, Amen. I disagree with, with them casting that over anybody. You know, I don't, I don't like um, hamburgers, but that doesn't make me anti-hamburger. I don't care if you want to eat one, but it's just not for me, right? But I do think that you should be informed of what, what's maybe in it, you know? So Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fauci, um, people may not know this, but back in the 80s, 90s, Fauci was also behind the, the drug for um, AIDS. If you remember the AZT, um, he lied about that too. Like he pushed that drug and he lied that the NIH, who he was, he, who he was head of, had all the studies to prove its safety. And it turned out when they requested that they didn't have the studies and the studies were um, kind of how these vaccine studies are. They unblinded the placebo, um, you know, during, in the study. So everybody that got, you know, like a sugar pill, they let them know that they got a sugar pill. And so these people ended up, you know, taking the, the, the medication and the studies were kind of null and void because of it, but they still called it safe, put it out to all these AIDS patients. And ultimately that drug made them even more sick and killed them sooner. And that was, and that was back in eighties, nineties, you know, so he's doing it all over again. This is definitely history repeating itself with a different type of, you know, virus. Yes. Aaron, unfortunately, we're out of time. I hope that you would consider coming back on my show and let's have a further and deepening conversation. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your courage uh, and your integrity, your morality, your fortitude to fight back, um, to stand up. Um, You have a heart bigger than yourself. God bless you, and I want to say thank you. Please share with my audience. I know that you're on Twitter. You're on Instagram. Are you on LinkedIn? I'm not on LinkedIn. Um, I, I, I've, I've kind of been fired um, from from nursing. I've been blacklisted from nursing uh, now. I'm on Do Not Hair, so I'm kind of um, an independent now. <laughs> but, okay. Well, but, please share no, with my I audience. Know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Just share with my audience briefly how they can follow you and, you know, and stuff like that, get a hold of you. Sure. So um, both of my handles on Twitter and Instagram, they're same. So it's E-R-I-N underscore B as in boy, S as in Sam, N as in Nancy. So B-S-N. And um, I do have a book for a signed copy. You can go to nurseerin.org and I can send that out to you. So that's pretty much Thank you so much for taking time um, out of your your busy schedule to come on my show. And thank you for your courage coming on my show and sharing your testimony and experience and unfortunate loss of life with all those that you've witnessed. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And God bless you for doing what you're doing. And I'd be happy to come back on whenever you would like me to. So thank you. Thank you so much, Erin. God bless you and take care. Okay. You too. Bye. You're listening to The Chauncey Show. I'm your host, Chauncey Brown. We had in the studio uh, Erin Marie, the 
undercover nurse that blew the lid off of Amherst. Um, very compassionate, emotional. Um, what these people have gone through, the families, the patients, even what Erin has witnessed, even her being blacklisted, you know, for standing up. But her faith is going to bring her through because God is going to put her where she needs to be. And apparently the devil doesn't want her, and that's okay because Aaron doesn't want to be with the devil anyway. So even though she's blacklisted, God has something greater prepared for her. And we're going to have her back on the show and talk about those things in the future. You can join the Chauncey Show every Tuesday and Thursday from 6 to 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, this Thursday coming up, we're going to have independent candidate for governor running Brad Mule in the studio talking about his plans for New Jersey. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in tonight. Please follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, Chauncey Show USA, or on Parlor. And listen to our show on Spreaker. That's Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. And also, uh, please uh, consider uh, making a small donation. We operate on small donations, so please, you can send your donations uh, to the PayPal Me at the Chauncey Show, and we appreciate your continued support. God bless you all, and remember, keep the faith. Good night now. Your favorite things feel made for you. Your education should, too. University of Maryland Global Campus, formerly University of Maryland University College, was made to serve the military and working adults like you. Today, we continue that tradition by offering frequent start dates so you can get started with convenient online learning that fits your schedule, by recognizing your accomplishments with credits you can earn for what you know, by providing no-cost online resources replacing most textbooks because a college education can fit your budget too and with no FAT or GRE required for most programs. University of Maryland Global Campus, made for you. Last year, we awarded more than $15 million in scholarships to qualified students, including community college students, service members, veterans, and working adults just like you. Discover how we can make your education and your goals for the future a reality. Visit us at umgc.edu. That's umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV. At Office Depot Office Max, we're here to help you work from home, an office, or even a coffee shop. Shop laptops, notebooks, ergonomic chairs, desks, and more. Although your local store at Spectrum at Ruston Town Center has closed, you can shop at our store at Benedict Drive and Bartholomew Fair Drive. Or shop 24-7 at officedepot.com, and we'll have your order ready in-store or curbside in just 20 minutes. Find everything you need to end the year strong at Office Depot Office Max.